0: Welcome to Newsworthy with Norrisworthy. Get ready for some awesome. Hey, friends, before we get to uh, Melissa Green and Josh Graves, let me tell you about two things. First, the Deborah Club. Now, The Deborah Club is a dark, sometimes funny tale about the corrosive nature of church politics on the hearts of well-meaning Christians who, in the midst of a power struggle, find themselves behaving nothing like Christ. Now, this is a novel that we've talked about over the last couple episodes. It is, it's kind of like House of Cards, but set in a church. Now, the tagline for the book is, it's a story about men, women, power, and church. What could go wrong uh it's a novel that I highly recommend and I think uh I know some of you have gotten this already and I've heard good things from you on reviews about this. But if you haven't done it, I encourage you. There's a link to this on Amazon and it's only like $2.99 right now. So go get this great novel. It'll be a perfect holiday read for you. And if you get it, hit me up. Give me a message, let me know if you like it, uh, because I'd love to hear some feedback on this one. Also, let me tell you about something else. Um Our friend Trip Fuller from Homebrewed Christianity has got an event going on January 19th through 21st. 21? January 19th through 20... I feel like I should say 21st, but I don't know how to say 19th. Whatever it is. Uh, January 19th through January 21st in Redondo Beach, California. He's putting on this nerd fest called... Theology Beer Camp. I think that's actually a typo. I think it's Theology Root Beer Camp, uh, or at least that's what I'm going to call it. So that's going down. There's a link for more information about that. I'm going to be participating, and if you like to get your serious nerd on, this will be a perfect event for you. It's a couple days. Uh, trip has got some really smart people gathering together, and I'm going to be there for it, helping out. I think I've got a podcast or two I'm going to do at the event. Along with just um, you know my usual thing of trying to convert Trip Fuller to Christianity, so if you want to join me for that, hit the link on the bottom of the old um, show notes, and it'll get you there. All right, here See, we he'll go.
1: Bait you like that because he's that record button, <laughs> and he'll put it on.
0: <laughs> it's a, it's an old trick. It's an old trick that uh, Pete Holmes does, where he starts a podcast and you don't really know it. And then you don't have to do like normal small talk because it's always awkward, you know. Sure. It's like, how do you really talk? But we're already starting. And then right the now.
1: cheesy copy music comes over as people are listening.
0: It's not. Mm-hmm. It's not oh, don't hate on that. Okay, um, I will just start now. We are in beautiful Nashville, Tennessee today, in the office of Josh Graves. Hello, Josh.
1: Half the size of Luke's office in Austin. Mm-hmm. Yes. And we
0: have Melissa Green. Hello. Welcome. Hi, Melissa. Hi. Welcome to the podcast. Oh, I'm sorry. I always have to call him Dr. Josh because mm. he gets <laughs> oh, upset. Yeah, really he gets big, really upset. I'm big on that. He gets <laughs> upset if I don't say doctor because it just kind of goes. But you're – I'm just Luke. You're just Melissa. Melissa. Yeah. yeah, but people know you because you were in a singing group and did the whole singing thing for – I don't really know music that well. So, I did. Avalon? Um,
2: yep. Yes? For a and she Almost never seven gets years.
1: asked about
0: that. <laughs> never? <laughs> no. You're being sarcastic. Yes. I really haven't – I don't think I've had any – I've had – uh uh, Joel Houston from Hillsong United, mm-hmm. he's been on because a friend of mine is a f- good friend of his, and it was just like, so you sing songs, huh? You had the uh, drummer from... Jimmy Eat World? Yeah. But it, I didn't talk music with him. Oh, I, yeah. So what I'm saying is that you might be bored of talking about music, I don't have anything to say about it, though. Perfect. So you don't have to worry about that. Great. But I I do... Okay, I'm going to say one thing about <laughs> your music, though. You came to our preacher camp five or six years ago. Mm-hmm. And you sang a song that was. That we've been Jul- trying to get her to record. Julian of for Norwich. Yes. Yeah. Years. I've listened to I, it's a nice recording, but it's like a YouTube video. Oh, yeah. And the I'm one, like, is it the with one with my her dog? dog? Yeah. Yes, I've listened to <laughs> it multiple times since then because I really liked the song. Could you just you go ahead and sing it now and then we'll just record it? <laughs> Don't we've got that. a microphone. <laughs> I can do some background BGVs. Is that right? Background vocal? Yeah. Yeah. You're right. yeah. So that's not an option.
2: Mm-mm. but yeah. I appreciate that that means a <laughs> lot. Melissa's <laughs> well, an
1: eight, so you will not be able to talk her into doing yeah. something like that. If she was a three, she'd be like, what do you want? Yeah,
0: but she's <laughs> an eight, so it's <laughs> not going to happen. It's not going to happen. We did do, when uh, Zach Lynn, who's a drum for Jimmy at World, mm-hmm. did a solo project with his wife, and we talked about that one time. That was a music thing we talked about, and at the end, we did play one of his songs. So go. if at the end of the podcast, you feel convicted that this is something you should share with the world,
2: you play that YouTube clip, though, because <laughs> the audio version.
1: <laughs> you still haven't recorded that?
2: No. It's
1: an injustice.
2: I've been busy.
1: For <laughs> five years. <laughs> I even, listen, I even set up a good friend of mine here who's a nationally known songwriter who has a recording studio 10 minutes from this church mm-hmm. who loved the song. He's heard Melissa before, and he said, sure, I'll do it.
2: And to be fair, I tried to set it up, and then he got busy. Ooh.
1: Okay, so I didn't know that? that. I feel better. See? Okay, I feel better. Well,
0: thank you for trying that. Yeah. You know who I also tried to get to come to this conversation today? Becca Stevens. Do you know Becca? Yeah. I bet her husband can, like, get you some mics and stuff. He probably knows things. Some mics and stuff. I don't know <laughs> what you need to do to record a song. <laughs> anyway, I feel like we have a great idea. If you want to do it, it's it's on you now.
1: Okay, thanks. Yeah. So you love that song also? Oh, so yeah. I say,
0: um, yeah. I, as a seven, like, I don't like to deal with my emotions very often or ever for that but I've m- multiple times bawled and listened to that song, just going, "This is so moving to me." And so, as a seven, I've cried like three times in my entire life.
2: So and
1: the way I would translate it is, if you don't record that song, you're leaving money on the table. Like, oh, we got to get this out there.
2: I literally, I do sing this to, over my kids every night. Are you serious? Yeah, my daughter asks for it. She started asking for it about a year ago. So now and every she's night, eight? She's seven. Seven. So I sing it over them. I
1: got to step up my game. I do like the Catholic version of the Lord's Prayer. Like, I don't sing it though. Like, I got really—that's a challenge.
2: Okay, I, are uh, you a singer? Uh,
1: occasionally.
0: Hmm. Can we talk about that? <laughs> <So> <laughs> a year ago, <laughs> uh, a year ago no. to this weekend. There's so there's this conference at Otter Creek called Zoe, and on the Sunday morning after, I get a video from uh, a mutual friend of ours who shows me. Josh Graves on the stage and he's belting out a song in the middle of his sermon. Just he decides to bust out. I went for it, yeah. I went for it, and he really wasn't
2: bad. The rumor is that all Church of Christ can sing.
1: That's a rumor. <laughs> I, mm, yeah, no,
2: I liked it in my head though because you sing all that harmony. All yeah, kind of. there
1: we do, I would say pound for pound or per capita on average, especially when if you value parts and in, mm-hmm. in harmony. Um, but there's some really bad acapella out there, too.
0: <laughs> yeah. Uh, mm, I had to lead singing at my little country church, like every preacher boy has to go out and <laughs> preach a little. I was fortunate to do it. it was a very loving church. And there are times I had to lead singing, and it, was, it wasn't good for anyone.
2: But your people sing, so that's good.
1: They do. Our people, yeah. on average, really like singing. It's kind of a big deal.
2: I noticed that when I yeah. came to help lead at your church. Yeah. They really deal. sing.
0: What is your tradition? background?
2: Uh, Southern Baptist.
0: Southern Baptist. Mm-hmm. Oh, a good old Baptist in here. Oh, yes. Are you from the Tennessee area? No, Florida. Really? Mm-hmm. What Grew part? Tampa. Tampa, Florida, the epicenter of culture.
2: <laughs> 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 Just kidding, laughing over here.
0: It's a No, I, my first job out of school was in Panama City, which is much higher class than Tampa.
2: <laughs> like, that's called the <laughs> armpit of Florida. <laughs> I was born up there. In Pensacola. Oh,
0: okay, so yeah, right and then you made there. your way down to Tampa, yeah. and then did your uh, your singing group band. Sorry, that sounded fine. very Alkafella Church of Christ. Your singing group uh, is that what got you to Nashville?
2: No, I came to Nashville, uh, well to Cleveland, Tennessee, for college at Lee University. Okay, Church of God, a liberal arts college over there, and fell in love with Tennessee. So I left school, started traveling. Moved back to Florida for a stint to get married, and then we moved up here as soon as I got in Avalon.
0: When you said you moved to Florida. The stint
1: was not the marriage part. The stint was (laughs) the
2: season of life. Did you go
0: there just to find a husband? (laughs) Back to Florida? Like salmon kind of go upstream. No, I found the husband,
2: and he was graduating from college down there. So I, I got out of the singing group I was in at the time, this group called Truth, and moved there for six months while he would graduate to get ready for our wedding. Then we got married, and then I got in Avalon, so I moved here.
0: Okay, well, like, was Avalon already going on? And Avalon like was tried six out?
2: years old. They called me to audition, yes, oh. when their <laughs> soprano left, and then they picked me.
0: Yeah, I've never been asked by a group to come sing anything. So how long did you do the Avalon in?
2: Almost seven years.
0: Nice. Yeah. Okay, so give me the timeline. How long ago was? 2002 to 2009. Okay, and then... Is, Sorry, bad interview. Did you, did you, like, did Avalon just, like, stop in 2000? No, no,
2: I resigned. You resigned? I resigned. I was pregnant with my second child. So the first child grew up on the road, basically, lived on a tour bus for three years. Oh. And then I was pregnant with my second. And I'd been leading worship um, at a church in town on Tuesday nights for their college and yeah. young adult group and fell in love with that. Yeah. So different than concert ministry. Yeah. And so after uh, being pregnant and falling in love with leading worship, I just thought, I want a new season in my life and I just recorded a solo project and so I resigned not knowing exactly what I would do and got hired by the church that I'm at within two weeks. Really? Yeah. So
0: it's Grace P- Point? Yep. And you've been there since... 2000? 2009. Was that where the college... No, no, that
2: was just separate. My husband had been visiting Grace Point. I mm-hmm. was never home on Sundays touring and he'd been visiting Grace Point uh, for six months and loved it. And so it just so happened that in the process of resigning Stan Mitchell the pastor asked my husband who's also involved in christian music to some extent said hey we're looking for a worship leader do you know of anybody and he was like uh, my wife I, just I know resigned very well. <laughs> hmm. so
0: and you started off as a worship minister mm-hmm. but right now you're an ag- executive
2: associate pastor
0: associate what is just associate
2: what does that mean in our yeah, culture yeah. basically <laughs> Um, so a year and a half ago, I was promoted to that. So basically, at the time that I was promoted, it was to learn the role of senior pastor, basically, to be able to move into his shoes, um, if and when he would ever move on. And so he's not, though, he's still there. And so now I I preach once a month Mm -hmm. and just help speak into everything. Nice. Yeah.
0: So uh, when you were just out of high school, did you ever see yourself as... A senior pastor in training?
2: No, no, I wasn't allowed to be pastor. Emma Southern Roman. Baptist. Yeah. You forgot that part. Yeah, yeah. You know,
1: there's a joke in Church of Christ circles when people make fun of the Church of Christ. I always say, well, it could be worse. I could be Southern Baptist.
0: <laughs> 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 now, my uh, so when I was in grad school, I preached at a like a college Bible study, interdenominational Bible study, mm-hmm. and it was at a Baptist church. And so, like my first, uh, like my first boss is now a Nashville, like record. He's like the manager for um lauren didang De- Daiggle Dagle is yeah. that her name, yeah. yeah, so he does that kind What's of st- his, his name's Jeff Barry, yeah, you know Jeff
2: mm-hmm.
0: yeah, so he was like my first boss, and so he was the worship leader, kind of ran the thing, and then I spoke at the uh the Bible study, so mm-hmm. I got nothing but love for Baptist unlike Josh over here mm. yeah, <laughs> you're not going to give me anything on that? See, this is what he does. He just stops. He doesn't give me anything. He just... He has a nice
2: (coughs) smirk, though, that you can't see.
0: (laughs) One of the first (laughs) rules of, like, podcasting along with improv is always yes and. And Josh just will dig his feet in the ground and say, I'm not going to give you anything. (laughs) And so you just have to go on your own. And so this is what he does
1: to me. I'm trying to speak that which love requires. And love doesn't require for me to say anything right
0: now. doesn't? Okay. Okay, so the, uh, the idea for the podcast that we're doing right now is somehow we're talking about Enneagram and how that affects preaching yes mm-hmm. and so josh he's like one of the loudest outspoken lovers of the enneagram in the church of christ and so he would like to think that he brought it to the church of christ <laughs> which the veracity of that statement actually might be true i'm not gonna argue with that i mean i think he's a big part of that so thank you
1: almost hey almost as strong as inventing the front tuck
0: wow i see what you did there <laughs> <laughs> yeah. all right take that I'll take that Melissa just laugh and move uh, on that's a that's a podcast ask, for I'm another scared. day there
1: is a rumor on Wikipedia that Luke Nordsworthy may have started the front tuck trend of the late 90 early 2000s
0: yeah it's like uh it's like the mullet of of tucking in your shirt <laughs> it's like I'm
1: business in <laughs> front party in the yeah
0: back. exactly it's the same idea and so uh Josh lover of the Enneagram says you'd be a great person to talk mm. to how long have you been a fan of the Enneagram Melissa
2: It's probably, it's because of Ian Cron, Mm -hmm. so it's probably been about five or six years ago. He was at my house for dinner, and he started talking about it and saying, okay, let's figure out your number. I'm like, okay, weird, let's talk about it. And then his big thing that night was, I'm not supposed to tell you what your number is, but I'm going to do a guess, and then once you figure (laughs) it out, we'll see. And so I remember him talking about it, and I was intrigued by it, but it didn't catch on until I came and did a uh, workshop with Susan.
0: Yeah. Susan's been on multiple times. Uh, and, uh, I think, um, I think I talked about it with Roar first on the podcast and then I got introduced to Suzanne and then I listened to like her know your number series mm-hmm. and all that stuff. And then I talked to her and she's a great teacher. Mm-hmm. She's very she's good. She's incredible. And so you're an eight, mm-hmm. correct? Yeah. Which is the first number that Suzanne would teach. Yes. Right. And so you're like, that's the only one I need. That's right. I got the eight and move on. Graves, the three. He's called himself the most healthy three in the
1: churches of Christ. <laughs> that is not true. <laughs> that is not true. But if other people have said it,
2: about me. <laughs> you'll take it.
1: Yeah.
0: Okay. So, um. What are you? Uh, I'm a seven. Okay.
2: Sorry. You said that. Yeah.
0: Seven. Seven. Yeah. You know, that's why. Yeah. Seven. That's me. Um.
1: So the thing I would reiterate just for people listening, because there are some people who are like rolling their eyes in their car right now, like Enneagram, I'm so sick of hearing it. <laughs> the genius of the Enneagram is it helps us to deal with the deeper motivations of the human heart, not action, not behavior, not theology, which is what most people hide behind. Mm. It's about what's in our heart. And I, I have seen it uh, liberate college students. I've seen it liberate. I have, have a friend who's in his late 70s who's learning the Enneagram. Uh, that's the beauty of it. So you don't have to agree with all of it. You can question the science, but it works because it helps us to understand what motivates each person. Yeah.
0: Well, I think most of my listeners have either s- stopped subscribing to the podcast or because got on board with the Enneagram. <laughs> One of the two. It. Because... We have, uh, so Ian and Suzanne have a podcast. Mm-hmm. Have you been on it? Mm-mm. You should be on it. Thanks. They, you, they need to have you on it. They, they came down to Austin. We helped them record like the first 12 or 13, uh, at our church. I Luke Luke
1: showed Jim Chafee how to press. The yeah. It's buttons. like
0: it, you saw the whole process. It's just mm-hmm. like hit the button. So anyway, so I was there for the first dozen or so of their podcasts and they played, I think I played the first one actually on mine as well. And so there's a lot of. Tie over They're like a, my pod children mm. yeah. I like it My pod children Yeah So I've got a few pod children So there There's they're some of them But He um, also
1: counts Rob Bell As one of his <laughs> pod children
0: Because he said it on the podcast At one point He's he, This is Just forget it Just leave it there <laughs> He really does count He them. said it I didn't make it up He said Whatever <laughs> if, I've got to record here on my phone I can get about four seconds no. It's actually my ringtone Yeah, but it's it
2: saved Yeah uh-huh.
0: Luke, you're so effortless. I went home and—no. That is actually what he said. But it's weird that I can—it's not—I I support record. you. Thank you. You're welcome. Thank you. Okay, so the idea for the podcast. Talking about how preaching impacts—is uh, is impacted by the Enneagram. And I was talking with a friend of mine from our church uh, about Enneagram. And she's, oh, what's your number? And I said, seven. She goes, oh, of course you are. Because she sits and listens to me talk for 30 minutes once a week— and you go, yeah, that's that's what you're doing. Uh, that's why I, why you do what you do. That's kind of the motivations underneath it. And I, I've been processing how does it impact how I articulate like the good news. Mm-hmm. And so I wanted to kind of decompress or uh, deconstruct that idea with people, obviously from different numbers. Now, uh, the three, the the achiever,
1: careful, well, careful.
0: Give me g- give it the, give it the thirty second. Recap of what the the three is.
1: So the three is driven by the need to succeed. Uh, The three is always trying to win the room, always trying to come up with the next project, the next idea. I mean, it doesn't mean that other numbers aren't ambitious. It means that we're motivated, though, by not only succeeding but appearing to succeed.
0: Yeah. Okay. Melissa?
2: So the eight is the challenger. Mm -hmm. So very strong, very um, willing to engage in dialogue, discussion, and or arguments if mm-hmm. needed. Um, they are also um, called to justice, like mm-hmm. driven by justice, and uh, called to fight for the underdog, um, and not afraid to fight for the underdog. Mm-hmm. So,
0: Okay, so uh, listen to a sermon you did recently. Listen to Half of it. I'm not going to say I listen to the whole thing because you might come back. I was just, because I, you know, whatever. Let's not judge that. Judge that. No but, judgment. so you were talking about uh, sexism, uh, what, genderism? Is mm-hmm. that the right, did I get that yeah. right? Okay, so I'm listening as you describe what the aid is. I'm going, yeah, that's exactly what you were doing in that sermon, right? I mean, that was the call of it. Your church obviously has been in the news recently um, uh, for making a stand on uh the LGBTQ and, uh, inclusion. Yeah. Inclusion. Mm-hmm. And, uh, it, it seems like, okay, yeah, of course. And Nate's going to make a stain on something they really care about mm-hmm. when, when you think, and, and so how long would you say you've been preaching on a regular basis?
2: Uh, a year and a half, a year and a half. Yeah.
0: How has that been a year and a half? Is it been fun? Like, is oh, it yeah. what you thought how has
2: be? it would be? Oh, it's amazing. Yeah? I love it. I couldn't do it every week. Why not? Not with the rest of my job responsibilities i should say Okay
1: let me, let me can i ask you something about yes. that um, so we have a we have a good amount of eights in our church and one thing i'm fascinated by is churches are always faced with various social issues mm-hmm. uh, it could be immigration it could be muslims and christians it could be sexual orientation i mean it could be a host right there could be a host of things so as an eight and one of the key public leaders in your church, if you have other eights who disagree with you on a given, what does that look like?
2: An argument?
1: I'm, I'm genuinely <laughs> fascinated because if they're interpreting, because, I mean, justice is obviously central to the Jewish Christian story. So if, if on a particular issue, let's call it issue X, if mm. they disagree... And their eight energy is just full bore. You're also an eight, but you're also a pastor. How do you handle no, that? No,
2: that's interesting. I don't think I've had that's how you do a, a question, confrontation. Luke. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think I've had a confrontation with another eight on a justice issue. Mm. So I could say, "Oh, okay, they believe this, and I believe differently." Like I, I, not yet. I haven't had a confrontation on that. So that would be very hard because it would be interesting because both of you are coming at it with such passion, right? um and real assurance i mean i feel very sure of myself often in general and i think that's a bit of my aid nature um Hmm. so i don't know you have to come at it there still has to be the humility and the love um right alongside you know your passion for i'm going to stand for this and get into the midst of this fight whatever this fight is right um but you have to understand that the point, most eights, though, I- if they're healthy, they're going into that fight because they see some injustice happening, and they feel called to help make a change, or at least bring it to light that it's happening, and be one of the strong voices on the front lines. So I don't know. I can't answer that, because yeah. I don't feel like I've been in that situation. So yet. and this will
1: be the last question I ask, because it's fine? your show. Luke. Yeah, I know. Just, I'm just happy to be here.
0: It's not digging the grave with Josh mm. Graves. <laughs> I mean, we, know, we know what this is. <laughs>
1: If you planned that ahead in the last twenty four hours, if you just did that right now, I'll accept that. But if you've Good. already been thinking about that, No, here, I haven't okay. that was just So um improv. what what is your teach or what is your preaching voice like? Are you a storyteller? Are you a teacher? Are you sage? Are you advocate? Like what, what do you think advocate. you're you're the advocate? I think I'm
2: the advocate. Um I mean, it's ended up the thing. So if I'm only preaching once a month or once every six weeks, most of the topics that I've been given or landed on the week that I'm preaching are things I'm deeply passionate about. So I'm actually really interested if I had to preach more or when I do, when it's not a subject, I'm deeply passionate about what it would look like.
0: Yeah. Are you picking those subjects? Or are they
2: most because the I help curate and produce our services. And so, yeah, I lead that team. In general, just typically the main pastor is the one carrying Stan, it out. Right? Mm-hmm. Stan, right? hmm Stan Mitchell.
0: So I've been wrestling with the notion that um, as a seven, so I, I, I run away from fear. Like that's, or I run away from pain. Like that's my, mm-hmm. my default thing is if there's pain, I'm going to run away from it. I'm going to bury it under the rug. You know, that's just what I'm going to do. And I will always uh, be excited by something. I'll be optimistic. I will look forward to something.
1: You can reframe in a nanosecond. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Like
0: the, the worst thing that could happen and I could go, there's some positive in there. And I used to be fearful of that because I would say, well, that's just my sevenness as though that's a bad thing. That mm. I, I see a negative, I make it a positive and I want to dismiss my optimism as a, uh, as a dysfunction produced by my Enneagram number and my personality type. And I'm starting to see more of that if the Enneagram represents the image of God in each of us, like that is the best thing mm-hmm. of God in me, and so I should be grateful for that. Mm-hmm. And so as an eight, okay, you want to stand up, you want to fight for someone who's, uh, who's being oppressed, mm-hmm. you want to be the, the spokesman for the person who has no voice. Mm-hmm. How do you, How do you wrestle with, okay, that's your natural default. Like that's what you're going to do. I'm naturally going to be optimistic. How do I ground that in something more than just my personality, but in like what God's calling you to do? Because if your natural default mode is, I'm going to stand up for whoever, then would that cloud your ability to really choose the right battle to stand up for, right? So I I wrestle with, am I being too optimistic? Do you ever wrestle with, maybe I'm fighting for someone who really doesn't deserve to have the battle fought for them?
2: I could see how an unhealthy eight could do that. I don't feel like I've done that because any... um Any opportunity that I've had to step into some fight, so to speak, I've done it hopefully being very informed first. So I've leaned into wisdom and others. So I don't just, I'm not over here acting on my own and just jumping into every fight that comes along. I think that's an unhealthy eight. Mm -hmm. Um, So I hope that if as an eight, any eight, if they feel called to some fight to get all the information first. If that's what you're asking, like, don't just fight for somebody because you like to be involved in the fight. Yeah. It's not about that. I think the deepest uh, sense of me is saying, no, I want to be involved in this fight because I see that injustice happening and I want to step out for the widow, the orphan, the inmate,
1: LGBT,
2: whatever it is that I feel called to, Black Lives Matter, all these things. But I think you have to be informed first, Mm -hmm. be willing to say there's other information and you need to lean into other numbers.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so Josh, as a, as a three, what are you fearful of that you might lean too heavily into because of your threeness?
1: So that's a that's a really hard question for me to answer. That's just, how
0: you ask a question on a podcast. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, um, I was actually hoping you were just going to skip and <laughs> come at something different. I did have an interesting exchange several years ago with our mutual friend, Scott McKnight. <laughs> we were... We were both speaking at a conference, so we were ha- we were sharing a meal together, and he was very complimentary of. Oh, it's right here—the first book that I wrote called *The Feast*. <laughs> Look at that; it's right there. Like, and and every, I, every other copy of the book is awesome in this <laughs> room. <laughs> well played. <laughs> so Scott Sorry. Scott was very complimentary. He had featured the book on his blog and. He it, it just was one of those moments where it was like, Wow, the hard work, like maybe there is some fruit. Cause you wonder, you know, you work, you labor, you just and you wonder, like, Am I making a difference at all? Then he said at the end of this, this is why I'm telling the story. He said at the end, he goes, Could I give you a critique? Sure. Because he'd said all those really nice things. I was mm-hmm. open to it. And he said, There's not a lot of cross in this book. Hmm. And I was like, ah, was, uh, well, you know, I could see how if you were <laughs> like a substitutionary atonement, like you could think that. Yeah. And he's not, he's Christus Victor. So he had kind of, kind of caught me. Um, I had thought I'd covered it with some stuff on suffering, but what I've since reflected on, um, because that comes out in preaching, writing, all mm-hmm. of it, all communication, since i on that. I think it was very important for me 10 years ago to project an image of optimism, resurrection. So very, very similar to what a seven knows naturally. And I think I'm a better preacher because over the last five or six years, especially as you have kids, you age, all of that, um, you realize that you you do need death and you need the cross and you need suffering and you need rejection and you need shame and you need humiliation you need sin. It's not just all victory. It's not all resurrection. It's not all conquer. And so it's a lot easier for me to have a, a, just to hold those two in tension, cross and resurrection. But my natural inclination as a three is to project a certain image. Yeah. So I had to be aware of what I was projecting in my communication. I'm thankful that Scott said that to me because otherwise I don't think I would have been aware.
0: Yeah. Well, since we're on the subject of name dropping, (laughs) Um, my, uh, my friend Rob was in Dallas a year ago and he was doing his tour. And, uh, afterwards I was talking to Rob about, uh, you know, his, did you go to his most recent tour thing that he did? Which one? The...
1: The most recent one. Uh, he, did, he did it just here in Nashville. I didn't not get the together. little,
0: not the smaller venue about the how to be here, but the one before that. Like everything spiritual, spiritual. too. Yeah, 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 yeah. So he did a lot of stuff about going into the gray air and going into the darkness and and leaning into like leaning into the pain. Which mm-hmm. you know, Rob is a seven, and I remember talking to him afterwards, going and, I, and I, I was like very much in the throes of of trying to understand my sevenness, and I was like, well, you're a seven. This is clearly like the work a seven has to do is to go into to that and all this stuff that you're talking about really is what the Enneagram would prescribe for someone with our personality. This is how you do the work. And I find myself often going that direction of, I don't want to give resurrection. I would rather talk about Good Friday more than I would want to talk about you know Easter Sunday, mm-hmm. because for me, I know that's where I need to go. And one of the things that the Enneagram has opened up to me recently is where I go for uh, development isn't where everyone else goes. And my junk and my issues aren't everyone else's issues. So I would say I lean more on like lament now hmm. because I, I feel health in that. Cause I, I know intuitively that's where I have to go. And, and so I'm wondering if you've ever thought about that, like either of you, like the idea of this is what like the work for an eight or three is, um, I- am I projecting that on other people as well?
2: Well, even in understanding the Enneagram to begin with and realizing that there are nine different ways that people see the world and nine different intentionalities that they come to the world with, even understanding that in itself, you get great compassion for yourself and then you have such great compassion for others. I mean, that's the number one thing that the Enneagram has done for me. So trying then to lead and pastor out of that, it's understanding Not everybody's going to come at the world like an eight will. And Mm -hmm. I can't reach them. Like so many of my friends, I want them to be direct. I need (laughs) people to be honest with me, like give it all. And so many of my friends are like, no, I don't want, I do not be direct. Like that's exactly the opposite of what I need in this moment. And so for me to understand that as a friend, but even more so as a pastor and then as a teacher, I think you have to be aware of that. And it was eye opening to realize.
0: Yeah. Um, so the thing about an eight, like the, um,
2: how to say this tactfully,
0: <laughs> um, like the eight for a <laughs> woman can,
2: uh, do you want me to say it? Yeah. Can be a bitch.
0: Yes. Okay. Yeah. So th- that word, which I've never heard before in my life, cause I'm a preacher, um, is projected on a woman who's assertive, mm-hmm. right? And you're a leader. And so yep. therefore, you know, if it's a man, oh, he's a strong leader, but right. if it's a woman, it's a derogatory thing. Right. And so with an eight, personality and stepping into a position that as you said in your childhood was not even on the table yeah. for an option for you it seems like it would compound the propensity for people to assume negative things about your character H- have you experienced that or am I just making all this up
2: no sure yeah I've definitely experienced it um but I think it's what has helped me be a better pastor actually is because I didn't have this ideal in my head that I was constantly ever trying to fit into I knew at 16 that I was called into full-time ministry. Like I'd sang, for, I opened for a concert. This group that I later joined ended up opening for them that night and got my first standing ovation. And I remember in that moment I knew, okay, this is what I'm actually supposed to do with my life because this affects people. This is more than just about me. Um, And so I said, I'm going to do full-time ministry. And I thought that would be music ministry. So that's what I was pursuing, pursuing. So even when I met my husband on our first date, this is such an eight thing, on our very first date we're out, um, I'm off tour, so I'm just home for two days. And we went on a first date with other people. Um, he and us two roommates and me and the two girls that sang in the group and we all went on a date together and we ended up on this beach talking. And I told him that night, this is who I am. I'm calling into full-time ministry. My husband needs to understand that and support that. And you need to know that right now. Otherwise there's no use in us dating. <laughs> 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 he was like, okay, great. I'm in uh, like, great. Is, yeah, he was on board, but I need, like, I knew who I was and what I wanted to do then.
1: What has been?
2: Ben's a three. We thought he was a one, yeah. but he's a three. Um, so anyways, so then I did artist. Uh, I was an artist for 10 years, seven of those in Avalon. And so then when I'm coming into this pastoral role, I didn't, I, I don't fit into boxes. Like there's nothing me as an eight that would say, okay, here's your box. And I go fit into it like that. I'm not interested in your box. Like, I don't, I don't know what that means. So. I brought my whole self into this role and I didn't try to pretend like I need to be like my male counterpart. I didn't uh, think that I need to be this quiet, um, submissive person or woman. I just, I brought my whole self into this and then was able to lead out of that. And I think, although at first many people saw that as that's too much, who is she? Who does she think she is? I'm not used to an assertive woman. Then they came to quickly respect that because they're like, Oh, okay, she's here for us and here to nurture us and wants to teach us and, is for the underdog, so on and so forth. So, I feel like if they stick around long enough, they realize that is their own problem to deal with. So, <laughs> actually. Who,
1: remind us who are other strong eights in American culture? That f- female eights,
2: female um, like uh, Nadia. Nadia is an eight. Um, Olivia, uh, uh, the lead character yes. on Scandal. Yes. Okay. Um, yeah, White Hat. Um, what's
1: been most interesting to me about learning this part of the enneagram is. The way in which w- we historically have been so inclined to privilege uh, men, especially white men, that if you're a, a white male three or a white male eight, like, man, people will bend over backwards mm-hmm. to, like, say, you should do this or mm-hmm. you could run for president. You could be the pastor of this church. And then we just don't know what to do with female eights, mm-hmm. especially in church settings. It's wor- I think it's worse in church settings mm-hmm. than it is culturally. That's that's mm. to our loss.
2: Yeah.
0: Uh, how many eight artists do you know of? Because you think of the eight as the... I don't or, or know. the artist sure. like the, you know, the four or five. Yeah.
2: Of some, but Do you I think, think
0: it's... It, it seemed to me, like in my naive assumption about the uh, singer-songwriter-artist world, that there wouldn't be a ton of eights. Like that wouldn't be a predominant number. Is that fair? Is that I think fair?
1: there are a lot who appear to be because that's where they go in stress or security. Mm-hmm. But yeah, as their default orientation, I'd be surprised if there are a lot of eights yeah. who are artists. Yeah.
0: Okay, so um, our mutual friend, Wade Hodges, a preacher in Dallas, has been doing this uh, like under the surface Enneagram series where he just has a thing. It's called like Unstuck. And well, so it was under the surface. Oh, I'll well, tell you. whatever. Get over it, people. That's what he's doing. He's got like week by week about like how we get stuck. And so his last one was um, like too happy in an always shiny world. And he's like preaching the gospel to sevens. Mm. It's like, you know, sometimes you do need to feel suffering and pain. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, you know, that's part of the way of Jesus. And, uh, you know, so the six is like, you know, living in fear and all that. Um, and so he's trying to integrate the enneagram into how he's, you know, articulating the gospel for people. Have you guys tried to find ways uh, besides? I know you do this pastorally, Josh, when you're interacting with people, trying to use some enneagram. Yeah, huge life. for counseling.
1: Really? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Do you huge. find
0: it more in counseling than in uh, preaching?
1: I think it's more implicit in preaching, more explicit in counseling. Mm-hmm. Um, what's what's the stuff we worked through with Rob Bell and Don Beck and all the change theory stuff? Oh, Spiral well, Dynamics? Yeah, Spiral Dynamics for me has been a game changer for preaching. Mm. And I haven't figured out how to do the Enneagram, but I am much more cognizant. Like this summer, I preached a sermon on race uh, in July. Um, a good sermon on race. It's very good. Thank you. Mm. And I was very cognizant of the different numbers who mm. would be listening. Mm. So you have to we're going to read from Second Corinthians 5. Spiral Dynamics, that's the blue mm-hmm. segment, traditionalists of our population. Um, sixes, ones, mm-hmm. uh, probably sixes and ones and, and conservative fives. Love if you, instead of me saying, you know, Lucas the other day, and I, we were playing basketball in the backyard where twos would love that, right? Mm. So if I start with the text, it's just mm. a different... So I do try, when there's more at stake in particular sermons, because not all sermons are equal. And some Sundays you know I'm going to crush it this Sunday. And other Sundays you're like, this one's going to be hard. And then some Sundays you're, like, you're not sure. You're like, I don't know. I don't know what the word is here. So it has helped me to think about actual people listening to what I'm going to say. I don't obsess over, like I don't have a color-coded system. <laughs> I'm sure somebody does and does it really well. But uh, it has given me more handles or contours into how will this be received? Because you can say you can tell one story, and it will be heard not just nine different ways, but ninety-nine yeah. different ways. Mm-hmm.
0: I think of it as it lets me off the hook from feeling like I need to communicate to every person with every sermon. It, mm. it gives me grace to know that y- you can't preach a sermon to make every person happy. You just like it. It lowers the bar on my expectations for myself. But I don't think I've integra- integrated in a way that I can then. Uh, contour a certain message to fit certain people. I, I'm not there yet, but uh, I imagine some smarter person than me can can figure that out. When uh, So at, at your church, Grace Point, mm-hmm. uh, the staff, all familiar with the Enneagram? Mm-hmm. Yeah, you we guys
2: came and did it actually here at Otter Creek. Okay. Did a workshop. Oh, that's right,
0: yeah. Oh, nice. Yeah, so our staff, uh, we recently went through the material a couple weeks ago, and it's been b- very helpful to see how everyone responded to yeah. it. And... Uh, uh, I, would, I was going to tell a personal story, and then I realized, Luke, that's someone else's story. Don't tell it in a microphone. Ha- has it been beneficial for you guys? It's been
2: very... Like, we'll even... Still to this day, we make jokes like, oh, that's your nine coming out, Anna, or, oh, Ron, you're being your low five right now, or, you know, <laughs> they'll call me out on my eight. So, we, yeah, it's it's been helpful for all of us as individuals and then to know how to best relate to each other and who we should lean into for said issue um, or opportunity as well.
1: That's been my experience, too. I think... Is typically when people learn the Enneagram, they think, well, most preachers must be threes or sevens or eights. And that that's true. Those numbers do show up a lot. But you got a lot of preachers who, I mean, every number is represented in people who pastor. You think pastor.
0: there's a lot of sevens? Uh,
1: well, I can think of N.T. Wright, Rob Bell, and Luke Norsworthy. So there's three that's right off the...
0: That's a good trad right there. Yeah, t- <laughs> 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 Two of
1: the three your listeners have heard of. Um so I think all those numbers are represented um, in, in preaching. I, they're weighted to certain numbers. But the, the point at the genius of the Enneagram is when you're bringing your best self, your whole self, like you said, you're going to be a better preacher. Mm-hmm. I am convinced that several years ago I had better like tactical sermons in terms of this Greek word and this cultural application and this slick story and metaphor mm-hmm. and all that. But. I wasn't as healthy internally seven or eight years ago as I am today. Yeah. So I, I believe that people intuitively, in their body, in their DNA, as you're standing there, and this is deeper than just nonverbal. Is stronger, I think they get a sense week in and week out. Does she love me? Hmm. Is she projecting her anxiety on me?
2: Hmm.
1: Is she trying to control me? is he got something else that he's trying to cover up? So he's the super performer on stage, because mm-hmm. if you really knew what he was doing last night, he probably wouldn't have a job. I think people know in their gut when something's not right, I think uh, I think more people who th- than would admit it do, uh, they're aware that it's not all integrated. It's not all mm. whole. And I think that's what the Enneagram does. For the preacher who really wants to go deeper... Um, and do the the hard work of self-examination and the the disciplines, is once you get into the Enneagram, unless you're just a jerk or a really unhealthy three, you can't hide.
2: Hmm.
1: Like, this is who you are. And you have to take all that's good, and you have to take all that's bad. Mm -hmm. And you got to take it all and mix it up in this cocktail that is you, and you got to deal with it. And I think people know it, especially if you're preaching week in and week out or leading, you know, publicly consistently. They start to know like what's really going on here.
0: Hm. When so as a church planner and uh early on I had a meeting with my uh like administrative team, like our, our money people. And they're like, "Hey, we're we're running out of money here and we're all really stressed about this and Luke, you don't seem to be upset at all. Like you seem like uh, we want you to be more upset than you are. And I...
1: They were actually, what they said is, Luke, we have to take out your CrossFit subscription this year. I'm yeah. sorry.
0: They said, no, we're not going to buy your hair product anymore. <laughs> and I was like, wait a minute. <laughs> wait a minute. Let's not get excessive here. We really don't need a worship. You're like, shoes week. in
1: Ghana? No, no. big deal.
0: <laughs> product, yeah. Molding clay. Um, no, but I... In hindsight, I look back and I go, that is... Like, that's typical sevenness, right? Mm-hmm. Like, that's—I should be grateful for the image of God in that. Like, that is, I think, coming out of a, a place of a prayerful contemplation, like, that is a good thing. And I think both of you recently have had—you did a sermon on Black Lives Matter, and you did you did some stuff with, obviously, um, moving to church towards being an affirming church. You know, Josh, the stain you made with Black Lives Matter uh, after um, uh, the week in which there was a couple shootings— um, it seems like you would have different attitudes going into that. Mm. Um, You know that's costing you a great deal, Mm -hmm. right? And saying something like that is going to uh, destroy some people's image and Mm -hmm. perception of you. You go into that, I assume, and you're going, this is my eightness shining, right? Would that be a fair comparison about both of your attitudes going into a controversial subject to cover?
1: Yeah.
2: Mm -hmm. Good. Good job.
0: I was hoping Nailed for a yes. It. I was hoping a yes or no answer. <laughs> yes, That's man. exactly what yes. I was looking for.
1: <laughs> Fine.
0: Definitely. No, they, you're still saying yes or
1: no. <laughs> yeah, I think so. One thing Suzanne <laughs> has taught me, and I don't know the exact like clinical theory on this, but one thing that Suzanne has taught me is that when threes are at their healthiest. They're the ultimate networkers, the Mm. ultimate, like, help other people succeed, which I do. I love Mm -hmm. to see my friends and people I care about succeed, Um, which means when threes are unhealthy, they don't want anybody to succeed. Because they're competing, right? Because they're competing. And so um, I I really approach those kind of Sundays. And that one for me is only two times in 10 years have I ever scrapped a sermon on a Saturday and said I'm doing something totally different. I Mm. can't. I can't just do this thing. I can't do the robot thing. Um, but for me, it was just this kind of overwhelming sense of, I mean, it's it just always goes back to the Dr. King influence in my life of, if you're not going to use your public space to take a risk for the kingdom of God, mm-hmm. like, go sell insurance. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you got to be a priest to earn the right to be a prophet when you're in a local church. Mm. Um, but if you don't exercise that prophetic every once in a while, just to keep people honest, like you should, you should do something else.
2: No, yeah. that's good.
0: So when you got oh, Stan uh, is the senior guy, right? Mm-hmm. And he's a three. Three. Is that right? Mm-hmm. Okay. So. Uh, when you found yourself talking about this issue, did you did you find yourself coming from different places?
2: For sure, specifically. So this summer, if you're talking about the same thing I'm thinking of, um, it was right after the shooting in Dallas of all the police police officers, yeah. yeah, um police officers. and we were there the next morning. I had just come back from the Wild Goose Festival. That was that same mm-hmm. week, which that was all centered around justice. So I'm like coming back fulfilled and excited like every bit of my eightness was fed that week anyways and then that situation happened I really was like where are we going (laughs) where can we take
1: this
2: (laughs) but I remember being in there that morning and we typically meet in his back sort of green room before service starts and I'd put together this whole um liturgy of um owning uh it was just all about black lives matter and honoring um the deaths of um those that lost their lives that weekend but also saying this is the fight this is what's happening in our country we can't ignore it like it was just very out front and forward and he was like wait 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 like we have to think about this we can't just this may we need to run this by the elders and mm-hmm. um giving all this like wait let's pause like who do we need to talk to first and i was there weeping like if this isn't what we do this morning i don't know why i'm a pastor like that's what i was feeling like this is exactly what i should be doing with my platform to do it in this moment on this day Mm -hmm. and i don't always come at it like that like i typically can step back and be like yes you're right let's run it through the channels um healthy checks and balances 100 but in that moment that morning i was like no if, if we can't do this today um where our country is this morning i don't know what we're doing and so he let it I mean, he, I say let it, he allowed me to do it. And then it was so moving for our community, but there was no, like, I think for me to approach it as an aid, I was confident that it needed to be done, but also to bring sort of the passion, and the humility, and for our people to know that about me too. They don't know just this um, uh, loudmouth, mouth, uh, standoffish, Woman or human, they know that I have a uh, deep compassion uh, for humanity, and so for me to be able to be the challenger in the midst of also carrying that at the same time, they respect.:
1: That's just I hadn't thought about this, but so threes go to nine in stress, and it's interesting just listening to think about that, because I was coming back. My grandfather had just died, mm-hmm. and I was in the Detroit airport. I was watching an Arabic kid, a black kid, and a Latino kid right in front of me at the gate for Southwest. Um, they were just having this incredible 30-minute kind of playtime experience while their parents were just super stressed at the airport. Mm-hmm. And I was just overwhelmed with that that picture of, and I, I always kind of run through the filter of my own three sons, the the Nashville they're going to grow up in, the church that they grew up in, and what kind of church are we leaving them? Mm-hmm. All of those questions are always running through me every day. And I think because I was feeling the weight of, the, t- the two shootings and then the yeah. police officers who were killed. Um, I now understand, because of what you just said, why I went to Second Corinthians 5, which is the ministry of reconciliation. Mm-hmm. It, there is not a more nine text in the whole mm-hmm. New Testament. Because Paul doesn't take a side. He says the church has to bring together all these disparate parts, all these broken places. So I think the kind of the move for me in those kind of sermons in a predominantly white, affluent, very educated churches to say, there's a whole group of people that we're not listening to. Mm-hmm. And you can't reconcile and love and serve and be served and, and, and be loved by, because uh, the chief expression of humility is to listen. Mm-hmm. And probably the thing I have no patience for right now in my life is people who won't listen because yep. mm-hmm. it's so arrogant, so prideful. And, I think that's in the stress of that weekend. The reason why 2 Corinthians 5 pulled this three is it's the ultimate peace. It's the ultimate shalom. All shall be well. Mm-hmm. Text yeah. In the New Testament.
0: Man, that'd be a great song to
1: have to sing at Will that be. point. So if I only we, we could record,
0: record it. it. Yeah, if only we had some microphones. With dogs and, and cats. Logic Pro and, 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 a, and, some and cor- ferrets. So and when, right after the, yeah, that'd be cool. Uh, so right after the shootings, I had done a podcast like, the first one was like on a, I forget the days. The first one happened, and the next morning I scheduled a second mm-hmm. uh, a, a podcast with a buddy of mine, who's a ESPN guy for Austin. He's a member of our church, and so uh, uh, I had Sean come in, and we already had it scheduled the second shooting happens like the night before. Like we already had this book to to do a podcast, and then the Dallas shooting happens after I recorded, posted it, and then uh, I called up Sean like, hey, I think we need to do something. You and me, we had a guest speaker in that week, so we did it right around the table at communion meditation. Mm-hmm. And as I'm thinking about what I said is we, we, we gather this week with a wide range of emotions. Uh, some are anxious about, uh, our parents going to work and putting on the badge and others are scared of us are scared of their kids going out driving tonight. Cause they don't know what's going to happen if they can get home safely. And my, my first line was we all come here with emotions and that's, that's again me projecting in some degree my the work I've got to do. Mm. And I'm always going am, am I doing too much of me? But then I always go back to the thing about like the best thing that we have to offer anyone is our humanity. Mm-hmm. And it's not like the perfection it's not me pulling it all together, it's not being me professional, it's being honest. Mm-hmm. I think that's what we all connect to. And I feel like that's like the saving grace for me is like it's okay if your sevenness shines through because that's who God made you to be. Mm-hmm. And so that's maybe me just projecting on y'all. Uh, so
1: here's a question for you and, and for Melissa, but since you just raised that. So as a seven who preaches, as an eight who preaches, which is different than teaching in some way. I don't know how exactly, but it's different. But as sevens and eights who do that, what, is the, what are the one or two most important spiritual disciplines for you to stay a healthy seven in your preaching role, to stay a healthy eight?
0: For me, it's listening and not talking, like contemplation, and the like. So that's spiritual discipline. But the actual discipline for the preaching is not. In, in my head, I have a, a shot clock, like in basketball, for something that needs to be light. And so, if it's really mm-hmm. heavy and it's being really intense, we gotta like, come up. We gotta yeah, come yeah, up, come up for air, come it, up for air, yeah. and then we can go back down. Like I feel like I'm always. Which I, I think there's benefits to that. I, I feel like it, it's enables more people to come and re-engage and to stay involved. Uh, but the problem is that if I always jump to that, it doesn't let people sit in the mm. severity of the moment. And so my discipline um, in my preaching is don't always make the joke. Don't, you don't always have to tell a story. You don't have to be funny. You just, just stay there. So that doesn't come naturally for me.
1: Contrary to what Wade has said, you've done a lot more soul work than he's given you credit for, Luke. Thank you. Thank you. What about for you?
2: Um, I'm trying to think specifically. I mean, in general, I relate to what you just said because even back in my singing days, so anyone that knew Avalon, so I was known as the girl that could belt really high notes. Hmm. So every solo that I had, like I had to, Someone like when you were
1: singing the Star Spangled Banner, it was like, yeah, like it's going to take three minutes and 30 seconds. That's my sweet sec- yeah. spot. Like, that's get me to
2: the high note. If there's a high note to be sung, Melissa needs to be, like, that's that's, that's me. So Ben, one time, <laughs> when I was started doing solo concerts on my own, he literally came to me after a concert and was like, hey, every once in a while, just you, you don't have to. Let's pick a song that's not gonna be you screaming some high note. Because I would just do so it every st- song. He like, didn't oh.
1: Simon Callow you, he Randy Jackson. Oh yeah, it was, he was very He, he Randy was, was more just like, "Yo,
0: dog, yeah, music <laughs> guys, dog, like, hey, music's
2: awesome back. guys." <laughs>
1: <laughs> that's American Idol. Never. That was an Idol. <laughs> I don't reality show. But,
2: so I resonate... This is a great illustration. No, because I would. I just thought, oh, that's my sweet spot. So stay in it. Do it. And then it becomes less and less impressive, though, and less and less impactful, ultimately, um, that you can do those things. And so I think, for me, if my natural tendency is to be able to confront and challenge and Mm -hmm. push then I have to learn to back off and savor and relish. And so one of my favorite sermons then actually that I've done, because I can count because I've only been speaking now um, consistently for a year and a half, was um, a sermon on eternity life now. And so it was nothing. I I mean, I guess in some maybe ways it would be a tiny bit controversial, because um, I wasn't talking about attorney as an afterlife but about attorney right now. That's the tiny bit of it. So there, there may always be a little bit of <laughs> controversy in my messages, mm-hmm. but it was this whole savor life, like be yeah. a part of this infinite game. Not a, I read this amazing book called Finite and Infinite Games. It's all about like be in this moment, play for the sake of play um, and enjoy it. And so that was a good spiritual practice, though, that I got this topic that was not edgy. It wasn't mm-hmm. pushing. It was okay. And at first I'm like, how do I come at that? Because I'm yeah. not allowed to. So I
1: I wonder if in each number, um, the mystic path, which a lot of people get nervous, but it just means you seek to be about the imagination more than belief and practice. But the mystic, it seems like every number has a path to the mystic life. Mm. Mm -hmm. And it may be different, but that's kind of what you're describing. Mm -hmm. with that. I think for me, um, confession is my single most important Mm -hmm. discipline as Mm -hmm. a three, truth telling. Because we we have to be always almost like uh, uh, my friends in recovery have to just, you know, depend on that meeting and they, they start with confession. Uh, and the other one that I don't think it's talked about enough, and I'm just assuming there will be some preachers who listen to this. But I don't think we talk enough about how important it is for preachers to physically push their bodies, like mm. exercise, hmm. walk, do CrossFit, play pickup basketball, like Get crushed in flag football. Like, I think uh, we've be kind of become ascetics, and mm. we're kind of separated in this, as we've talked about this kind of dualistic notion. But, and I don't know if that's a three thing. Hmm. You know how competitive I am, so you could insert yeah. a story. Please don't do that right now. But, <laughs> but there is there is something about pushing the body. You mm. I one hundred percent agree. So I'm, I'm thirty five now,
2: mm-hmm. and
0: like I just everything hurts. All the time, like some, something's always hurting, and so back when I was an athlete, like ice baths were like a normal part of like you go to track practice and you afterwards you go do that, and so I've gotten the habit of like I take a cooler to work and I fill up a big cooler full of ice and I go and take an ice bath, and it, like I feel like alive because mm. it hurts so bad, and but there's like some mystical experience that goes with that, and I think to reduce physicality to just being part of the material world and not mm. saying it's part of the spiritual world, I think you're deeply uh, underselling the idea of an all-encompassing yeah. spirituality. So, yeah, I want
1: Car- to... Kara knows if I start to get, uh, like, overly aggressive, overly competitive, like looking to win everything, which is where I go when I'm not healthy, mm-hmm. She her basic response is, You need to go run the hills. We have huge hills in our neighborhood. You need to just go. I don't care if it takes an hour. Just go destroy yourself. Mm. And something resets every time. So I know myself enough. If I don't do that at least four times a week, I have to watch myself because the reset button Mm. hasn't Mm. been pressed.
2: That's great. I need to figure out what that is for me then.
1: Yeah, and I think it's different for everybody. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, I I
0: think the discipline, though, of like what do you need to do to preach – to not live into the worst part of your number i think that's really as you were talking about the high note i mm-hmm. i was reminded of a great sermon illustration uh, i i gave last week <laughs> um, <laughs> which
1: was stolen from sermons.com for no, 4.99 a month I guarantee go this ahead wasn't. go ahead you know ahead. the
0: phil collins song in the air tonight uh-huh. where like he does like yeah they remits. play it the nba
1: arenas all the time yeah
0: and then it has like the like drum thing at the end it's like i love that part like it's those 3 seconds where he's just like killing on the drums but you don't get that if you don't have the three and a half minutes of yeah. the song leading up into it. When
1: you go back and edit, assuming you edit, would you just would you loop that song back in? That would be like really slick.
0: I, you know, I think we should do instead of editing with that, like ending with that song, <laughs> you know what we should end with?
1: Melissa. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Well, we'll let you decide if you want to do that or not. I did listen to your sermon and Which you Which sermon did you listen the to? The one that you referenced, uh, a podcaster in there. I was like, oh, she's should reference a pod. It's Science Mike, and I was like, "Hmm, you reference Ask Science Mike in the liturgist." So, I mean, it's not like my feelings hurt because we knew each other then. But next time, if I listen and you're referencing podcasts, Luke knows. Yeah, thank you Luke with the Luke? accent. That's what I mean. <laughs> thank you so much for being here. Thanks, thanks, thanks for most, having yeah, me. Yeah, it's great, Graves. Thanks for your hospitality. Let you me got use it. Your office. Welcome to we Nashville. We squeezed in here and made it work. So, thank you for that. <laughs> Hey, and tomorrow night when I do my thing, do I need to sing during it? Because I feel like that's kind of... Only if
1: you think you can top what I did.
0: There's the three. (laughs) Having to win. (laughs) Having to win. You win, Josh. I'll just have fun.
2: Thanks for checking out Newsworthy with Norisworthy. Make sure to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes. You are now adjourned.